it's not the majority who changes the world. It's the vocal and determined minority. It's small people with an idea whose time has come. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic show on evangelization. My name is Michael Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by Dave Devil's Nightmare Van Vickle. Stop it. With, that's ridiculous. I'm going back to Dave Thunderdome. That was my favorite one of all time. Good, 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 good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Think, things things are good. Things are good here in Pittsburgh. I don't know how they are in Houston, but... Um, wet. You know, They're wet and he, full of light. Oh, it, no, it's wet here, too. But, I mean, as far as the church goes... You know, it's we were in this kind of tough like transition and it seems like some places are starting to kind of get their feet on the ground, you know, and so you're starting to see new projects come out and, and things like that. And so it's kind of an exciting time. Uh, the last six months have been kind of a nightmare for most parishes, I think, you know, and finally, like pastors are able to get their head around this stuff. So it's like I'm excited to see what's happening here, up, you know, in this the in this area with with evangelization and everything like that because it kind of was a wake-up call for everybody here yeah i was talking with one priest yesterday from your diocese and he was saying how a lot of the laity were so thrown off and some even left the church by the change because they built a good bond with their pastor and maybe their pastor was more charismatic or a better preacher or this or that and now they have a totally new guy that right it just felt so different and people felt so disjointed but He's hoping that finally the um, the hurt, which really does exist, is is kind of um, starting to heal. Maybe yeah, that something new can start to happen. So best of luck to y'all. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's it's one one of the things that and and you and I I don't know if we've talked about this yet, but like it's weird to realize how little importance like a lot of church workers and priests are in people's lives because. Like you said, people are so broken and hurt to lose pastors, to lose buildings, to lose stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is the vast majority of the people who go to mass are just choosing the most convenient time and the most convenient option. And they're still going. You know what I mean? It's not it's not the connection. So it's a real sad time. But all of a sudden you're realizing like, whoa, there are a lot of people here who just come here because this is the best time and the closest place for them. You know, yeah, and parking, and parking. <laughs> I can't forget parking, right? Yeah, and yeah. It that is fascinating. I think that dovetails directly into our talk today, um, because we wanted to focus today on the notion of leadership in evangelization. What does it mean? What does it look like? And we want to kind of break it down into three different categories. Of course, leadership. We can't go without talking about our priests, especially those who are pastors and in leadership positions. We also want to talk about lay employees, religious employees. You know of churches, parishes, whatever, uh, movements. And then we want to focus on volunteers, those of us who are lay folk that volunteer for all these different ministries and honestly help them run, keep them running. Um, and it is a big deal. But it is funny that when, you, when people believe in the mission, you can have individuals come and go yep. as long as the mission stays the same, right? So you can have people who are into their faith and love their parish priests. The priest has moved, but they're invested in the mission of the local parish that maybe in that context it becomes easy to accept. Right. Right. That okay, now the we have another a new priest, but the mission, the gospel's the same, the mission's the same. I don't know. Yeah, and I think, you know, unfortunately what I think one of what the things we're seeing with regards to evangelization is a massive lack of leadership across the country. I think that we're seeing kind of a dearth of people who understand how to apply leadership to a uh, sorry, how to apply evangelization to a parish. 
And that's, you know, I mean, it sounds weird to say it out loud, but the truth is, is that the vast majority of priests have never had any kind of training or classes or anything like that on how to lead a parish and specifically of making disciples, you know? Um, and most of them are wondering, well, what are, what are the practical day-to-day things about that, that, you know, that I need to understand and, and to take the lead on. And the truth is, you know, uh, before we were, you know, recording and we were preparing for the show, the show Gomer made the point of, you know, what'd you call it? The lid on theory, the lid theory or something like that. The law of the lid, the law of the lid, right? That, that, that the leader is so important because, uh, you know, he keeps the lid on, right? He's, he's going to decide what, what's happening and all these kinds of things that, that in a very, very real way, uh, not having a priest on board can, can be detrimental. That being said, uh, there, God's going to work. And so we're going to, we're going to talk to all three of those groups about how to, you know, become that leader that God needs you to be in evangelization. And it's so important that you answer that call and to realize that, you know, again, we're going to fall back on this. The, the word leader can be intimidating to people, but we got to go back to the brass tacks of evangelization and remember that the Holy Spirit is the primary agent of evangelization. So even though you might be identified as a leader, they might even made it official, you're just really the lead follower of the Holy Spirit, right? Of how the Holy Spirit is moving. And it's kind of like the example of the kings of Israel, right? Of the Hebrews, right? They Their job was to uh, show to model how to be the best Jew, right? That was their job. They had this spiritual job. And so that's why, uh, you know, God wanted a good man, right? To model that. And then in a sense, that's what we're there to do. That leadership starts there as a model of, of following the Holy Spirit. There's a wonderful book by a man named Douglas Hyde <clears throat> who helped to train in the UK train communists and um i've mentioned him before in the past yeah you keep bringing him up i gotta get the book it's an interesting book it's a fascinating book in my opinion he converted to catholicism in the 1950s and he was always shocked and scandalized by catholics who complained that there just weren't enough catholics to affect change in the culture of the united kingdom and he said there are 10 percent of the 10 percent of the population is catholic he said less than one percent of the population was communist and we got laws passed we changed lives we you know, reform the labor party, you know, all this different stuff. Right. And he said, the the thing that people forget is it's not the majority who changes the world. It's the vocal and determined minority. It's small people with an idea whose time has come. And in his book, Dedication and Leadership, you can't have leaders who are not dedicated to the cause or the mission. And he said, it always shocked me and it still continues to shock me. And in, fa- in fact, it pushed him out of the Catholic church. He ended up dying outside the Catholic wow. Church. But he said, it shocks me how few Catholic leaders, that is those who are in hierarchical positions of authority, ministry authority, whatever, have don't believe in the mission to dedicate their whole lives to it. Wow. They'll dedicate, you know, 10% of their life to it. He said, when I was a communist, we would brag at how little of our monthly income we could live on in order to dedicate the rest to spreading communism. And he said, and the higher up you went in leadership, the greater the sacrifice. We would like routinely brag that we lived on like 10% of our monthly income and 90% went to the cause. And when you start to look at it, he's like, and then you come into the Catholic church, they're all like, look how much money I make and all this stuff. Right, yeah, right. And it becomes this totally opposite perspective that shocked him. So he wrote the book 
to show number one, every Catholic, every Catholic parish needs to be a fortress to send out troops, and every Catholic individual adult needs to be a leader. And so the book was to help train Catholic adults how to be leaders in their faith. And one of the big things is he said he was always told people, I can take anyone to be a leader. I can train you to be a leader. Wow. If you're dedicated to it. And he said, so he had this guy, he said, the worst case I ever had, a morbidly obese man, painfully shy. He came up to him and said, you can't make me be a leader. And he did. And he began the training. And the first thing he had him do was show up early for every meeting uh. and set up and take down the chairs, do all the grunt work without complaining. And, he, and this is in his communist days. And he says, because what you're doing is you're becoming the invaluable that volunteer. Awesome. The volunteer that everyone yeah. relies on. And when you start at that place, everyone thinks of you whenever an event's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, my. You know, we need to get Gormley here so that he can help set up the chairs. And uh, he's always here. We love this guy. He's always here. And you don't, you don't say anything. You don't make any. And they said, slowly but surely, you end up. And so while he's doing the guy also was a stutterer. So he sent him to training with his income. He, huh. he bought this guy training with a speech therapist and all this stuff. He, he walked him through talks and all this. And then the guy's giving talks, and he said, and now he's one of our national leaders. Oh, yeah. He said, right. You're like, if he can take this guy, he can take me. If I can train someone, and, and the thing is, he said, and in the Catholic Church, we have even a, an even greater message with even more of a potential impact in people's lives with even greater resources for training into leadership and yet we use a thousandth yeah. of the energy yeah. behind it. Yeah, it's sad and it's like you know we i mean i think everybody feels that lack of leadership i think everybody feels it but from employees down to the to the person who just steps in the church for one time you kind of feel that lack of leadership it's it's interesting i know that um a lot of the people i work with like one of the things is just being bold and willing to share the truth. And so what you were saying really hit me, like the fact that you have to be really convicted because there's so much in the church that people, I think, err on the side of kindness over the truth too often. Yeah. And so like, I, you know, many times in my career, I've been labeled like a jerk when really like, I, I don't think I'm a jerk, but I just very clearly well <laughs> i very clearly communicate <laughs> the truth you know what i mean like like if someone you know says i i just i i love them too much not to say well no i think you're wrong because of this you know and i think that that kind of comes across as like well brash or something like that so yeah. leadership is tough and i think you know talking about this from the standpoint of evangelization is expect expe especially tough because uh we we're going to need great great leaders over the next 50 years to get back yeah. that that evangelical fervor you know yeah and i think we can all agree the crisis of the church today in many ways is a crisis of leadership it's a crisis of people not leading and managing themselves and their own behaviors their own actions their own words but it's also a crisis of leaders not holding other leaders accountable it's a crisis of bishops being too distant from their priests priests being too distant from their people um, there's just layers and layers of leadership issues that I think by turning a sharp gaze to it, especially through this lens of evangelization, of awakening the culture to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can really get down to um, certain issues and address them. And, and for everyone listening to this, I want you to understand that Christ has called you to leadership right now where you're at. He hasn't called you to be a leader, you know, oh, in 20 years when you're CEO. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Right now, you have this ability to affect change in and around you. Christ has given you a sphere of influence 
to be a leader within, right? So start taking these practical steps forward and lean into these leadership principles because here's the deal. This isn't some business textbook that we're going to throw at you or something like that. Um, we are here to awaken in you your God-given call to be priest, prophet, and king in Christ Jesus, right? So this is part of the kingly office that we all, by virtue of baptism confirmation, participate in. And I think we need to really, truly lean into it. Um, and it is going to take dedication. It is going to take sacrifice. And you and I need to be okay with that as we move forward. Okay, so going, we're going to talk about three specific areas of leadership, and the first one is for pastors. So let's give some tips here. To We we have a lot of priests who listen to this show. Aren't, aren't you surprised by the amount of priests who email and comment and things like that? Yep, yep. And it makes me nervous, always makes me nervous, but yeah. it makes me happy. It makes me so happy. Yeah, so all right, what, what, what like, first piece of advice? So a pastor, uh, a priest is made pastor of a parish, they want to be the the lead evangelist for their parish. What is the first piece of advice you're going to give them? Uh, the very first piece of advice is the homily is uh, needs to be charismatic. That before the homilies aren't going to sol solve everything, but you have the biggest impact with the most amount of people from yep. that place. And yep. so every single sermon, no matter what happens, don't summarize the gospel that you just read and add some pithy little sayings or. You know, I hate cliched homilies. Just realize what is the gospel? What is the kerygma? Read Acts and all the great um, kerygma um, proclamations that are contained therein. But then present the gospel and call people to repentance. And I guarantee you, maybe not initially, but that's where you're going to start seeing some big impacts. So this is interesting. So what Gomer's saying has rarely been tried and done well, but I have kind of as a just like a, a watcher have been able to see this because one of my best friends here in Pittsburgh is my, in my opinion, one of the best homeless I've ever heard in my life. Okay. He is, he's absolutely excellent. He can talk about very complicated things in a charismatic way. Uh, he's constantly communicating God's love, mercy, the need for repentance. And then like when we started working together, I would say to him like, Hey father, you know, People are ready to do something. Just give them an action at the end. And now literally we will see like a jump in confessions. We'll see a jump in like, you know, people taking prayer books or things like that. Whatever he says at the end of his homily, we will see a jump in that because he's so good at it. So pastors, please realize the, the homily takes care of many ills. If you can get this down, it's going to help brand your parish. It's going to help focus your parish on what you're all about. And like what Gomer said, I, I agree a hundred percent. First step there, win the homily, win the homily. Oh, that's a great phrase. Win the homily. The second step is win your staff. Yep. Um, I was just going to say that Win your staff. I, I had a priest um, from a certain diocese that will be nameless. <laughs> and he had, he was calling me because he said, I don't know what to do. I'm paralyzed by my department. He said, they're the most ungrateful, unjoyful, anti-gospel people I've ever met. And I was like, oh, gosh, what is he in the uh, uh, the tribunal at the archdiocese? What What is right, he at? And right. he said, I'm in the office of the new evangelization. Oh, gosh. Oh, and he said, man. these people have never evangelized anyone in their life. And he says, I call it the, the office of unevangelization. Oh he says, what do I do? If I fire them, they'll sue us. Yeah. And he said, I, I'm, just, I'm just paralyzed. And I said, number one. If these people are not living the gospel, 
right? Or at least by their fruits, you can't see it manifest, right? We're not judging their soul. We're just judging them, their actions, which you ought to do. Um, he said, I said, they, they are obstacles to the life of grace. They are dams in the river of God's grace. I said, you need to shut down the whole department and lay everyone off and then restart a new department under a different name. Like you have to get rid of people who do right. not say yes to Christ. I knew a liturgy coordinator who never went to mass, right? So what do you think those masses were? They were just techne. They were just the, the, the technical things were satisfied to whatever standard they invented. And then that was it. So pastors preach, win your staff, make sure your staff are invested in the gospel be bold in this. I, I remember one Protestant pastor saying, um, how many of you don't pray for an hour a day for our parish or for our oh, church That's awesome. Um, so I can replace you with someone who will? Right. Now, <laughs> please check with your local yeah, right. HR representative before making brazen statements like that. But honestly, if we aren't praying for the church, who do you think will? Right. Yeah, that, that is amazing. And I think, you know, to your point about getting rid of them, um, right? Obviously it's tough because people are involved, but the truth is pastors, some tough decisions are, are needing to be made in America. Okay. We, we hired people for a very, very long time based on the wrong, uh, whatever you want to say criteria. Okay. Um, organized doesn't always mean the best evangelist organized doesn't always mean the best faith, faith communicator. Okay. Um, and so I think it's really important that you get the right people on board. There, there's an example I think of of a, a pastor around here. He's a young guy, and um, he seems to have like you know just the backing that he needs to hire whoever he wants. But pe- people like it's just amazing. Like if I meet a really awesome like evangelist in Pittsburgh, without a doubt, in two weeks he's going to be working for Father Chris. It's amazing. <laughs> like he just hires. Like if he sees someone who's going to advance the gospel he's going to empower that person. And by empower, I mean, give him a salary, help him to raise his family, you know, and let him go. I mean, he's just, he's fantastic in that way. So getting the right people on board. And the truth is there, I don't know, maybe, maybe Gomer disagrees. I'm, I'm wondering, my experience is that more and more dynamic people are interested now in investing in the church and getting actual positions in the church. So there are people out there. there there's no question. Yeah. In my mind. Yeah, and before we get into that, uh, one last comment for pastors, right? Um, part of evangelization and the action items is availability of the priest. You're still the pastor. You're the shepherd. And when, like in Pittsburgh, they closed down a bunch of parishes and consolidated them into now they're all like these bigger regional-type parishes. If you don't have the sacraments offered frequently enough, you will have people who will grow in their distaste for the sacraments, right. they, it'll just be right. seen as an add-on, which will then be seen as a bother, right. an annoyance, and then something that's rejected and walked away from. Yeah. So if there isn't enough confession times right, for your people to go to confession, and yet in the homily, you're calling them to repentance, you are stifling their ability to come back to God. Right. Right. So that needs to be something that sets you on fire for your evangelization mission is Open, open, open wide the doors to Christ through the sacraments, yep, yep. right? If if the daily masses are, um, you know, if we could reschedule them for better times to bring in more people, maybe that's what we do. If you need to pray the liturgy of the hours with your people every so often, cultivate that. These are ways that we can invite people into the liturgy and into the sac- uh, sacraments of the church 
why are we ignoring this? Let's do this. Absolutely. The, the last thing I would say to pastors, the last piece of advice is this, and I, and I give this always to pastors, and, and I say it in a way that they think it's a joke, but I'm dead serious, okay? Um, it goes a long way. Like, it, it's going to help a lot if you could become John Vianney, St. John Vianney, right? <laughs> like, I hate to say it, but if you can be a saint, then you're going to make saints, right? Saints have saints in their wake, and... Uh, I had the privilege of working for a pastor for seven years who like the entire parish knew that every single day he was going to be praying for about two to three hours in the church. That's, that's what it was like. Literally. Oh, that's they, they knew that's that beautiful. they knew that he was going to speak out on the issues that need to be spoken out about. They, they, they knew his holiness and he was a terrible administrator, mind you, terrible administrator, but he left a wake of disciples a mile wide. And I, you know, I, I obviously it's both and, but remember at, at the height of John Vianney's career as a priest in Ars, France, which is a no name little town, it, it could have took, taken you a month in line before he would be able to hear your confession a month. You were camping out and bringing food with you and preparing so that you could go to confession to the curia of Ars, St. John Vianney. And guess what? He had no greeters at the door. He had no, uh, whatever you name it, all the fancy stuff. He had, he, he did have coffee machines in the lobby. <laughs> he had those. Well, he I, had and, an and I'm not saying those things take band. away. I'm, I'm not saying those things take away. <laughs> Certainly they don't take away. But holiness trumps a lot of things with leadership. And that's the truth. Yeah. And, and when you don't have holiness, you have technique. Yep. yep. Right. And so people want all of the lights and the glamour because they don't have holiness success needs to be redefined as holiness. What is a successful parish? One that brings in big numbers or one that makes sense? That's right. If you have big numbers, but they all go to hell for all eternity, you're a failure yeah, oh, as man, a parish. I'm fighting that battle. If right you, can, you can get big numbers in your church. You really can by preaching sure. what people want to hear to make sure. them comfortable in their sin. If you preach sermons that make people uncomfortable in their sin, you know what they might start doing? Relying on God's grace to stop sinning. But many will walk away from you. If you want to grow your church, you have to be willing to push people away, not because you're a jerk, but because the gospel makes demands a decision. It demands, the catechism says, the free initiative of God's grace demands a free response from man. And it's, it's true. And also, I want to say this one last comment, and then we'll move on. If it's a mist in the pulpit, it's a fog in the pews. Oh, if you don't know what you're preaching about, no one in the congregation will understand a dang that's, thing that's you're preaching about. If it's a mist in the pulpit, it's a fog in the pews. Now, you might be saying, but I'm not a charismatic preacher. I'm not known for my amazing talks. That's just not my skill set. Well, as a dad, I don't know anything about taxes, tax law, tax code, but I still have to do it, and I have to do it well. Right. <laughs> I have to do well. I don't know. I don't have child rearing skills, but I had to figure that stuff out and I had to do it well. Here's the deal. Preaching the word is a part of your vocation. Right. You have to do it well. The three points and keep it under eight minutes. That is a way of quarantining bad homilies. That's not the way of giving good homilies. Absolutely. Read and research how to do it well. And if you do it well, you'll see the effects of it. Awesome. So go off, off soapbox. <laughs> off, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I could go on all day. You know, one of the things that was so interesting, um, that priest who I worked for for seven years, Father John uh, Sweeney was his name. And uh, 
one day a parishioner just who loved him bought him this huge TV. And it was like one of those beautiful TVs that literally you looked like you could step into the screen. It was like so clear, you know, it was amazing. And he was like real disappointed. I was like, what's wrong? This TV's awesome, you know? And he was like, well, now I'll never be able to say that people shouldn't be watching TV anymore because he has the biggest TV in the parish. <laughs> and that was, he was like seriously disappointed about that. It's just like, that's just an example of what he was like. You know? <laughs> awesome. So Gomer, I think like one of the issues here with leadership is that a lot of parish employees feel called to leadership, but they don't know how to navigate that. And I, I know you and I have both been in these situations uh, where we feel called to leadership, but we we don't know how to navigate that because there is a pastor, right? And and that pastor, rightfully so, should be the leader. But uh, parish employees, it doesn't exempt them from leadership by any means. In fact, um, we are called to take the leadership role as an evangelist. And I, I'm going to throw out my first suggestion here. My first suggestion is... As a parish employee, it is really, really poor form to give a class or a workshop on something that you're not willing to do. And so I've seen this very often now where uh, maybe a director of evangelization or a DRE, because usually because parishioners are asking for it, does a class on evangelization, but they're not actively engaged in evangelization themselves. Right. This is kind of a big no, no. OK, you really don't want to do that. Leadership, like like Gomer told the story about the guy who was setting up the chairs beforehand. You got to get down and dirty and do the work and do it for yourself. Otherwise, it's very difficult to get people to follow you. Yeah, I was just reading a reflection. Um, there's a wonderful diocese down in Australia that publishes these Advent and Lent reflection books. And one of them was an image of the Madonna and child. And it said, Christ encourages us, or Christ requires us to become like little children. And he says, and listen, he, the Messiah is not asking anything of you that he has not already done himself. Uh, right? Cool. Yeah, <laughs> but right. isn't that a great thing? Like, think of the Madonna and child, right? Yeah, right. And, um, yeah, I see this all the time. I see this also with um, speakers who have a set repertoire, and I've been guilty of this too, oh, yeah. where you know what the church teaches and you're proposing it, and you're even passionate about it, but you yourselves don't do it. Um, you're not coming from a place of authority. Right, you're coming from uh, you're holding up a blinder on your own life, and what you're doing is you're you're making people seem like you do this without you doing it. Is it's a very yeah. dangerous right. spiritual place to be, right? Because you're seeming holy without being holy, and talking about holy things. Um, and, and that's the danger of being a teacher, which is why scripture talks about, you know, you know be very careful if you're going to become a teacher. Um, the danger is to do exactly what you said, to not lead by example. So the first leadership principle for employees who are trying to figure out how to navigate this stuff is always start with your own actions, right? You need to be a model of the type of behavior you want to replicate. Yeah, I, I will never work in a church that I don't attend. That's that's the truth. Yeah, because I want I want them my my them to see my family and to see how I raise my children, how I treat my wife, how I how we live as Catholics. Because I want them to to see that what I'm calling them to do, I'm willing I'm willing to do myself. Oh, that's so powerful. Because we used to struggle with that. Like, well, this is my job. I worship at another church. I know it's right? hard. It's hard. People in youth ministry, we would say that all the time. That was a big struggle for us. Yeah. And for a while, I lived about forty minutes away from my church. 
um, just because, like, you know, we would say these things like, well, you know, I want to be able to go to the grocery store and not be interrupted 27 times. But what does that mean? That means you're not modeling how to be a Christian in the grocery store. Absolutely. I, I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. You're not having these encounters with people. So that's very important. Yeah. And it was it, it's, it was like that, too. Like, you know, where people like at mass, somebody would need a door open and it would ruin things. You know, it would really. And, and, and I had to set boundaries, but it's just important that they see your life. In fact, that's going to be so much more important than the talks you give. Oh, oh, that's so true. That's so true. Uh, Another thing about uh, leadership when it comes to parish employees is to number one, realize that you do serve under the governance of the pastor. And so we need to get away from this thing of just the, I, I find there's two trends in parishes, the yes, father, like whatever father says goes and there's no consultation, brainstorming. I guess this also goes under the pastor leadership thing. But you need to be setting up regular, and, and I don't do this. You need to set up regular meetings with your pastor to make sure you're executing the pastor's vision. Ah. And to make sure that the pastor knows what you're doing. And I'm going to say this very clearly. I have a parish staff of 36 full-time people. I do not do this. I don't do this because I feel like I am very removed from my priest even though you know we have a good relationship yeah. i don't work with him and i see that as a poverty in my own sure, sure. leadership role like i I'm, and i'm not blaming him i'm blaming me i don't go out of my way right. to make him right. informed yeah that i mean that that is an issue and and again it's going to create problems in the long run it really is going to be an issue down the road when you're going to see that there's kind of subcultures at your parish that you've created a subculture and there's other subcultures and eventually they're going to all come together, you know, and there's going to be a problem there. Yeah. So you really want to get that, you know, get that down. Uh, the, the next thing I would say as far as leadership is um, interpersonal relationships in the church can be, uh, they can be tricky, right? Um, you know, uh, working with people as, as in every place that there are humans present can be tricky. And so you want to make sure, right, that uh, especially if you're in the faith formation department, if you're in the evangelization department, whatever you want to say, that you are seeing your fellow employees the same way you see the parishioners, right? That you're trying to witness to them as well uh, and to bring them as well and to love them as well, to accompany them as well, and to model that so that they can do it for other people, you know? Uh, and, and, And what I would say is this, that's particular for faith formation evangelization, but please understand that no matter what employ, what your job is, what your job title is, it could be maintenance, it could be any any number of things. the The role of the church is to introduce people to Jesus Christ. So whether you're maintenance or not, your job is to be an evangelist in a certain sense. So remember that we are we are there. We have to take the leadership role. And when we interact with each other, right, it should be a great sign of a Christian community. And the fact of the matter is I've been in enough parishes doing staff retreats and staff, you know, strategic planning meetings to know that most places are not like that. Yeah. Here's another thing I want to warn lay employees, careerism and the church. Uh, There's a lot of danger that I find in this. I think there is there is this tendency to want to make money off the church. And I think there is a danger there. Um, selling stuff, selling resources, whatever, that, that's fine. Right, there's practical realities you have to meet. Yeah, but there is this thing of, like, how much can I milk off the church? 
Um, and I think sometimes that manifests itself in a careerism where it's like, well, I start out in youth ministry. Maybe I start on middle school. And then I would go high school. Then I do young adult or campus. Then I become, you know, adult faith formation and blah, blah, blah. Um, there is a very real danger to want to act out of careerism instead of out of call. If you feel called to do it, great. But don't force that call. Um, and don't think of the church as a career. That, that's where you find, like, there's a lot of bad blood between a youth minister who leaves one parish for another parish for a few thousand extra bucks. Oh, I see. Okay. And that, that I mean, there, there can be a real reason behind that. Like, you can't pay for your family, medical bills, whatever it might be. There's right. legit stuff tied to that money. But I would just, call, sure. and I'm not trying to issue a rule. I'm just trying to say, you know, lay employees, you and I know how difficult it is to maintain church work and family life especially with the salaries you know no one's matching our 401k for the most or 403b or whatever the idea is though like are we in this to make money or not are we is are we using the career or the church as a career ladder you just have to do self-reflection in that i'm not going to tell you you know yes or no or whatever and living wages are going to be different depending on the case in person but be very careful about turning the church and church work into a career. Yeah, you know, you know, this is interesting. Um, so this is this is always a topic on my heart. Um, yeah. Because so in, in when the parishes merged and I had to get a new position, I literally said to the new pastor who was interested in hiring me, like, "Here's what I need you to understand, and I need everyone to understand this at the parish. Who anyone who's going to know about my situation." My situation is completely unreasonable and untenable for a parish to support, right? That like, because of the, my children who have, two of my children have disabilities and because of our medical bills and things like that, I literally said to him, like, I need you to understand that I am asked, like, what I need is because I need it. And it's not because I'm going to try and get the most money out of you possible. That's not the way it was. Right. And I want you to understand that I know it's unreasonable, my needs. And he was able to see that and say, yeah, well, we're, we're willing to, to, you know, be with you, to be the community that shoulders those needs. Um, but uh, it was a conversation that we had in a very frank way that you have to understand, I am not in this for the money. Um, and, you know, very few people are even talented enough to be in it for the money. But it, what Gomer said is true. Making decisions based on financial thing, you really got to pray through that stuff because it can be a problem. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, the trickiest one of all these is volunteers, Gomer. Volunteers are called to be leaders just as much as employees and pastors, and in many cases even more because volunteers can go where we cannot go. And so um, let, let's talk a little bit about what it means to be a leader as a volunteer in the parish or in an organization. Uh, you know, I want to talk about it from both ends. One of the things I would say is, you know, for pastors and for employees, one of the old tricks that people used to talk or the old phrases people used to say in like business books is you always treat your employees like volunteers and you treat your volunteers like employees. And I have lived by that statement because um, you'll see uh, around the United States, there is a myriad of volunteers in leadership positions at parishes that should have never, ever, ever been allowed to be in a leadership <laughs> position. Uh People who got that way because they were dependable in the sense that they were really great with administrative stuff or something like that, but really weren't being the spiritual leader that they need to be. And so my first suggestion to volunteers 
who are called to be leaders or feel called to be leaders is this. You should continually reevaluate where God is calling you to serve in the church. Uh, at, at the parishes that I work at, we have a one year, that it, it's it. That when you're a leader, like say something like Alpha or St. Vincent de Paul or something like that, after a year, we ask you to reevaluate. After two years, you're out no matter what. Why? I don't want you getting comfortable. <laughs> and number two, I want other people to be able to discern their leadership. So my, my, my number one piece of advice to you is to continually discern how God is calling you to lead in your parish. That is powerful, people. We need to restate that. Every year you ask them to discern, every two years, no matter what, they're booted off. They're gone. One of the yep. chronic problems in my parish is we have heroic and amazing leaders and wonderful people and there's no one there to fill in their shoes oh there's no one there willing because leaders often you know it's easy to go with the default if you've got a great leader and they're leading right then why upset it why potentially have a bad leader but the reality is every catholic is called to be a leader every christian is called to step in and so and or excuse me is called to step up and the problem is when we always have great leaders who are perpetually leading the same things, we never create opportunities for volunteers to step up. We don't have it. And this is the, the reality is leaders, you're sitting in someone's seat. Yep. So I always tell people, who are you looking for to replace you? Because if you're a good leader, then you probably have a good eye for what it takes to be a good leader in your job. So be on the lookout to be replaced. Don't wait for illness or a life decision or, you know, a, or life circumstance to now make this position vacant. And now there's no one yep. to step into the void. Look for leaders. Invite them to be assistant leaders. Invite them to walk alongside you. Invite them, you know, like one, one parish told me, I, I'll never forget this. They said uh, to serve on parish council is a two-year uh, requirement and they said but it's 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 really broken because the first year the pastoral committee tries to figure out what it is and what it's doing right and then the second year they lay down laws for the next group to do then the next group comes in and, does the and they try to figure out who they are and what to do and then they lay down the rules for the next year and nothing ever gets done wow right at, the, at this one parish and they were saying it's a broken model and they were subbing or they were replacing their entire leadership and okay. then they went to a staggered replacement so that you right. would have you know three people roll off every year and three new people get on and that that enabled them to actually get some stuff done because the new people were able to see how things happened for a year and then people you know then they became the regulars and so work was actually getting accomplished right but there right. was this whole thing where it was just paralyzed stuff right oh it was a disaster it was a disaster so be on the lookout and help onboard people to leadership i and i think volunteers uh you know one of the things that you're going to have to deal with is uh you know, you know, what Gomer described was one end of the spectrum and it's a good end, right? You have an awesome leader who replaces him. There's the other end of the spectrum as well, that the leader's not great and they're become, and they're there for like 11 years leading the same thing. And there's like a territorialism there, right? Where you step in. It's been awesome, you know, moving to this new parish to see how a lot of that works because 
uh, so many of the ministries here, well, if, if, for instance, I'll use an example, the pro-life group here at this parish, they approached me and said, how can we support you and what you want to do? And I had the same thought on my mind. How can I support you and what you want to do? So we worked well together, but there are plenty of places where there's a horrible territorialism and the person is going to be in charge no matter what. Right? Yeah. And I would, I would say this again to pastors and parish employees, um, treat the volunteer position. Like you said, treat volunteers like employees. One of the things about that is create job descriptions yep. for Absolutely. key leadership volunteer roles. Yep. Right. It, even though it's going to be volunteer, they need to know what their expectations are. Yep. And then you can hold them accountable to that. Yep. If they don't know what the expectations are, they're going to run it, however, energetically or lack thereof. And the problem is oftentimes you get half-hearted leadership because they say, well, it's not like I'm paid. I'm just a volunteer. Yep. The other thing I would say is, especially employees, we have to be better at treating our volunteers like volunteers. And what I mean by that is they ain't getting paid. Right. You are. Appreciate Serve that. them. Right. Love them. Appreciate them. I remember Bob Levznevsky, the righteous bee himself, at a Sumville Youth Conference. He was the host. And we're all there. And he goes, listen, guys, before we begin, I know that sometimes, you know, we have our opinions and we have our uh, you know, beliefs. And sometimes we get our feathers ruffled by this or that thing. He said, but realize this whole conference is run by volunteers who aren't getting paid like we are to give talks. He said, extend to them grace. Yeah. Be good to them. Smile and thank them. Even if they put the wrong kind of cheese on your sandwich. Like, love them. Because they're just volunteers for one weekend. And you're getting paid and they're not. And I thought, oh, yeah. wow, that, that's really good. That's a really excellent way to try to reprioritize the employee volunteer relationship. The last thing I'd say to, you know, Catholic volunteers in organizations or parishes is this. Be a good Catholic who volunteers. Don't think that volunteering makes you a good Catholic. Ooh. Okay. Right? I mean, be a good disciple who volunteers. Do not think that volunteering makes you a good disciple. You, And, and I'm just going to tell you this right now. In 100% of the parishes in the United States, this is being mistaken in some way or shape or form. There are many, many people. I, I always used to call it suitcase Catholicism. How do you know that you're a Catholic? And they pull out their suitcase and they say, well, I'm an usher every Sunday for this. And I do this and I do that and I do that. Right? Be a good disciple independent of your volunteering and then volunteer. Okay? Uh, because what we don't need are, we, we really don't need non-disciples taking leadership positions in parishes. And in a lot of cases, that's what we have. Parishes, dioceses. Paid and almost all cases, almost all. It's yeah. more, it's it's worse than it is better. I, I'd say, uh, and I 100% agree. I have seen surprising and appalling leadership of people. Like I said, with the example of the liturgist who doesn't go to mass, right? Like, what right. what do you think they can give? They can right. give nothing, right. right? And it's deadly dangerous. So, right. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, that has been our show. Oh wait, oh wait, we're gonna do the take five right when we come back from this break. We're gonna give you five very practical ways to dive into leadership. Reading the Bible is something we as Catholics know we should do, but let's be honest, it can be kind of complicated. Even though it's a complete story, 
The Bible isn't really one book. It's more like a library with dozens of books and dozens of genres. There's poetry, prophecy, and prose. There are apocalypses and revelations, historical accounts and allegories. No wonder it's difficult to keep a finger on the story of God's love and plan of salvation for his people, the thread that keeps all of it together. If you're wishing there was a simple guide to help you tie all of this together, then you're just like Jeff Cavins and Tim Gray. That's why they wrote the book, Walking with God. Walking with God is a single book that traces the story that ties the Bible together. It helps you to understand the big picture of the Bible. If you're looking to read more of the Bible, Walking with God will help you do it with confidence, peace, and clarity. You can find out more and order Walking with God on ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. And we are back with our five practical ways to begin evangelizing. Again, this segment's always been a challenge for people, and it's always been my my favorite part, you know, because we want to make sure that after this show, you have something to you can do this week to actively engage in the battle for souls and evangelization. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know, we love doing this podcast, and we want to hear more from you. If you've been blessed by this, we'd ask that you'd give us a rating on iTunes or whatever you use to listen to your podcast. But also, if you have any questions, we're getting emails every day now, and we love it, okay? We want this community of evangelists to grow. So please feel free to email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. That's every knee shall bow at ascensionpress.com. We want to hear from you. And now we got five practical takeaways. Go ahead, Gomer. Yeah, I think number one for priests, I would just encourage you all, ask yourselves honestly and bring others to ask, how is your leadership holding back the parish or what areas can you work on? No one wants to hear this. No one wants to hear this. But the law of the lid is real. If you're a leader, any leader, not just priests, but if you're a leader, you are the lid of that organization. You want to create that culture with that lid as high up as possible. So invite people, because here's the deal. When you became the priest, you immediately got funnier, even though nothing changed. (laughs) People will laugh at your stupid (laughs) jokes more than they ever have. That's interesting. Because because being a leader separates you from everyone else. So the problem is, you know, everyone's going to tell you, oh, Father, great homage. Right. Even if it was terrible. Because that's just a nice thing you say. So find people who can speak to you honestly and ask them, how is your leadership holding back the parish number two okay you know ladies and gentlemen i want to make sure that we're get we're staying with the the heart of this show okay the heart of the show and going back to some of the things that we've done before okay this week i want you to explicitly share the gospel with someone and it could be a stranger it could be someone you meet on the street it could be anyone but i want you to step out of the boat a little bit get a little bit uncomfortable and share the gospel with someone uh, who might be in need, okay? Now, the reason this uh, relates to our leadership episode is because you can't, people can't follow you if you don't, you know, if you're not willing to lead, okay? So you got to take the lead on this, on sharing the gospel, and then you can ask other people to do the same, okay? And it also just shakes us up. It kind of recommits us to what the church is all about. Uh, one day I heard a fellow employee talking about needing to be empowered or get permission to do things. Um, if you have a, uh, as an employee, if you're over a certain department or area of parish life, your empowerment comes from your baptism and confirmation. Look for areas, identify very specific areas 
where you can be more active in the kerygma and maybe come up with an action plan to start implementing this. So if you don't think maybe your elementary faith formation department is, and you're in charge of that, is speaking the gospel clearly so that Catholics who are being formed for, I don't know, SAC prep or whatever, are really understanding what this means, then, then start right now coming up with an action plan to bring the gospel more into it. It can be something as easy as setting up an email list and emailing out gospel reflections or whatever it might be. But employees, don't wait for permission. Start leading in a specific area. Number four, uh, we're going back to the kerygma again. Remember, we always want to continually be allowing the kerygma to shape our evangelization. We're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel of our insert name here, whatever you want. Uh, and so I want you to go and just prayerfully take a, a little time for some Lexio Divina here and read Acts chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. It is an example of the kerygma. It's very short uh, that Paul and Barnabas are preaching, okay? And um, it's 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 really, really short, and it's really power-packed. So every line has like a, a purpose, you know? And uh, just take that to prayer. Read it. Let it kind of form you a little bit. Think about the different parts that spoke into your life when you were having your conversion, uh, and uh, take it to heart. And I'm going to continue with that prayer theme and say, if you're a volunteer in any area of parish life, I want you to sit down and pray for 10 minutes right now for those in your ministries. For those who, if, let's say you run a food pantry, just start praying and picture their faces and pray for those that God has placed in your ministry. The fussy ones, the great ones, the annoying ones, everyone in between. Just take that time right now for 10 minutes and pray for them. Well, this has been Every Knee Shall Bow. I can't wait to hear how you do on those practical tips. Please remember to contact us anytime you need to have a question about evangelization or just to let us know how we're doing at EKSB at ascensionpress.com. We'll see you next week. This is Dave Van Vickle call, um, calling in from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I'm Mike Gormley from lovely Houston, Texas, saying God love you all. Bless you all.